a Kia SUV is capable of taking you far. But when you use it locally to help your community, you go even further. Whether that's carrying cargo, bringing your team with you, ready, or navigating new terrain. Power up your capability with the right Kia SUV. Do more with the Kia Sportage, Kia Telluride, Kia Sorento, or Kia Seltos. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. This is the Greg Scheinman Podcast. The Greg Scheinman Podcast. Brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. Hey, it's Greg Scheinman, and welcome to the Greg Scheinman Podcast. On the show today, we have Thomas Gwen. Thomas is a friend of mine. He's also the co-founder of the Pelly Pelly Restaurant Group. These guys have three locations in Houston, Texas. In 2015, Thomas was named one of Houston Business Journal's 40 Under 40 for his philanthropic efforts. Good job, Thomas. Along with his partner, Chef Paul Friedman and Michael Tran, these guys were also featured in an episode of Restaurant Startup, and they received the largest offer in restaurant startup history. Somehow, in between getting these restaurants open, appearing on these shows, doing his philanthropic endeavors, Thomas finds the time to train for marathons and also be a contributing writer for the Houston Press. In full disclosure, I got to let you guys know, Pelly Pelly is a client of mine at Inns Group, and we work closely with Thomas and his team on their risk management and insurance, and it is a privilege to do so. So I've had the opportunity to get to know Thomas pretty well. On the show, we sat down, we talked about his transition from the corporate world and law to launching a restaurant brand, particularly a South African restaurant brand. Talked a little bit about how to work with partners, different experiences there, investors in developing a company culture. Is there a time when an entrepreneur, you can turn off the business and the noise and what do you do at home? You know, what do you do in between? I walked away from this with a lot of respect for Thomas, learned a lot that I can apply and hopefully you guys can as well for both business and in life. Enjoy. Welcome, Thomas. Thanks for having me, Greg. This is fun. Appreciate it. So, so my first question for you is how did you decide to get into the restaurant business? <laughs> um, I get asked that a lot and, and I wish I had a really amazing, elaborate answer for you, but a lot of it was luck. A lot of it was uh, fate, I think, in my mind. Um, I was able to meet two amazing partners uh, that encouraged uh, me to be part of the team. Um, I originally went to school as a, to be an attorney, and I, was, I practiced law for three years in Houston. Went to school at the University of Texas, and um, you know, I realized early on that probably wasn't for me. I've always really enjoyed doing things that are creative. Um, I never thought ever that I'd be involved in a restaurant because I've never even worked in a restaurant prior to my experience with Pelly Pelly. But one thing that's really helped me along is it, uh, restaurants have become or should be uh, very people oriented. And, and I and am able to do the things that I really enjoy and passionate about, which is marketing and branding and being able to create events that impact a lot of people's lives, so I'm having a good time. That That's great. So was there one kind of epiphany or, or, or one day, you know, you are practicing law or, or that, okay, no, no more, you know, where the light bulb went off and you said, okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not coming in here anymore. There's got to be something else. You know, the, 
I, I had I was fortunate enough to work with a really great firm, really great people. Uh, Lennon Wright was my mentor for a long time, and I didn't have like one thing happen. It was just one of those things where you're you turn, you wake up one day and you're 27 years old, and you work so hard to have this life, and, and you wake up and you're just not happy. And it took me a long time to realize why I wasn't happy. You know, what, what's wrong with me? What am I doing? Is it me? Is it um, you know, and it, it, it took a lot of encouragement from my one of my current partners, Michael Tran. You know, we would have lunch, and you know, he said, you know, I think you should be an entrepreneur. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, I I didn't grow up in a, in a family that embraced uh, owning a business, taking risks. You know, uh, my parents immigrated from Vietnam, wanted a safe path for me, um, and I did all that. And, you know, you just wake up and, and you're just not happy with life, even though you should be happy. I mean, you know, your finances are there and you have friends, you have all these things. And, but something's wrong when you wake up and you dread going to work and, and you know, you go to sleep and you dread waking up the next day. Um, I felt like I was being ungrateful, not appreciative of what life had given me up until that point. Um, so it did take a long time for me to realize that, man, I, I think I'm not doing what I'm passionate about. You know, I, I think it's a, it's a great point in that uh, I think what one of the things that really separates entrepreneurs, I mean even risk takers, are, are people like yourself who are who take that next step. They realize it, and then they take that next step to actually do it. And I just I think that there are so many out there in similar positions that for whatever reason don't aren't able to take that next step. They're and they're not they don't have the courage or, or it's gonna to be tomorrow or there's never the right time and ultimately they don't, they don't do it. Um, you know, so what, what advice would, would you have you know, for somebody sitting in their, in their office right now feeling, feeling the same way about, you know, how did you make that decision to take, to take that next step regardless of what the, the product you know, or entrepreneurial endeavor may, may be? You know, this sounds really cliche, but if you think about it, it's the same way you think about, you know, picking your soulmate or, you know, you're ending up with a soulmate. You know, this is the woman that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. This is the woman that you wake up, go to sleep with, spend all your weekends with. So we hope that you, you're, that someone is someone that you enjoy being around, that encourages you. And I think being an entrepreneur is the same thing. A lot of people don't realize, you know, you wake up, you know, you grow up and you think, oh, I got a job, nine to five, pay the bills. You don't realize, I mean, I spend a lot of time, I mean, outside of my wife, the people that I spend the most time with are my coworkers, my partners and my coworkers. And geez, you know, in hindsight, I can't imagine being in a nine to five when I'm not enjoying what I'm doing because you're, that's most of your life. I mean, you spend, people work, you know, eight to 12 hours a day. They spend an hour in traffic, uh, you know, they eat dinner then they go to sleep. I mean, so if you're not doing something that, I mean, really excites you or, you know, it, it kind of pulls from your passion, then that's a difficult thing. So really my advice is, I mean, you, what is that thing that you could do during the day, I mean, for your life, right, that would make you want to wake up and do it? And if you can make money doing it, great. But I also would encourage someone being an entrepreneur for the money because I, there are easier ways to make money for sure. Clear, clear on that. Um on that so so with that in mind you then decided okay I'm gonna go into an industry that I have effectively no experience in um, I'm gonna become an entrepreneur and out of all the 
restaurant concepts that could be out there, you said South African. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one, actually one thing I want to add for entrepreneurs is sometimes that great idea that you want to do, it doesn't come immediately. Uh, I didn't quit uh, my job as an attorney to go into a South African restaurant. I wish it was that smooth and I, that would have saved me a lot of time. I actually had, um, you know, from 2004 to 2008, I was lost. I mean, it took me some time. You know, I, I left my, my practice to partner with my Michael and he had started a restaurant point of sale company. I, I'm not, anyone that knows me knows I'm not technically, I'm, I am tech challenged. Um, I don't, I mean, that's not me. And so I knew that it was difficult for me to leave law because I was, I didn't even have a plan. I just knew that, that I didn't want to do that anymore. And, but I believe that with Michael, we put our heads together and we'd figure out something that we would be passionate about. So at least I'm creating an environment where I'm able to look, you know, and I now work doing POS for a couple of years even though I didn't really have an interest in it. And those are difficult years. I mean, uh, I ended up moving back in with my parents. You know, I, I heard about it every day. You know, what are you doing? And, and I, I would question myself many times. You know, what did you do? What are you doing? This is stupid. Um, so we met Paul. He was one of our first customers. And he had Paul's Pizza Shops at the time. And uh, even when we met him, we didn't immediately want to do a South African restaurant. It, you know, he had gone through a divorce and sold his concepts you know, went to Europe with his son Kyle came back and ate at a place called Nando's which is huge outside America but they have a very small footprint here in the US well he had an idea he always wanted to do South African but for the mainstream it hadn't been done yet you know there, there's a handful of other South African restaurants around the country they're hundred percent South African and so you know, and Michael and I were like, South African, what are you talking about? I mean, we had the same thoughts that probably everyone in Houston when they first hear about it. You know, South African, what are you talking about? And we would have dinners at his place, and uh, he blew us away with the food. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And eventually I said, wow, maybe this is, uh, this is the thing I, I've been waiting for that I didn't, that I didn't know what I, want, that I wanted to do. Uh, you know, the, the excitement of being able to have something of my own was a big thing. Um, my dad lost his job when I was a senior in high school after working over 20 years for Baker Hughes got laid off and it, that was impactful for me because at that point I was like how could someone you know when you're, you're, you're 17 years old you're thinking how can someone who just slaved and, 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 and busted their ass for this company for years how could they just cast them away that concept didn't make sense to me uh, and, and that stuck with me so I think part of it is you know I want my destiny be in my own hands and I wanted you know it was exciting to be part of something new that I could have an impact with and to do something different and uh, thank God for my partners we've been able to put this together and, and Houston's been uh, receptive it's been it's been great and you know I think every entrepreneur um, in, in all the stories that I've done and even my own experiences the the entrepreneurial journey is everybody has their story of, of how they got there, and the similarities are are quite you know they're 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 there between them a bit. There is no overnight success. That's I mean, right. There's no real one way to do it, but there are tremendous you know, similarities. Um, you know, your father's situation with with losing his job. I had a situation where my father passed away. You know, when I was 17, you know, years old, and he was an entrepreneur. Um, mm -hmm. 
but we no longer had a business. There wasn't a family business to go into. Um, so I had unlimited choices, if you will. So I had no security, but unlimited choices because there was nothing there. There was no more guidance, if you will, to, to say, okay, you should go do this. And it became, you can do anything. Mm. And sometimes when, when you're given the opportunity to do anything, that's pretty dangerous also. Yeah. <laughs> too, too many choices. Um, you know, and, and you know, I had a brother who, who unfortunately lost you know, several years of his freedom from making some, some bad mistakes and ending up in, in prison. And you think about, okay, wow, well, I've got to use every day that I have you know, to the best of my abilities and, and enjoy life and be productive because it can be taken away from you any number of, of, of different different ways. Absolutely. Um, but you know, I do believe, you know, wholeheartedly also that, that good entrepreneurs at, or and successful people are packed, they can do all different kinds of things. Yep. You know? Um uh, but one thing you touched on on also in your story is mainstream. You mentioned the word mainstream. Um, and this is something that comes up a lot, uh, especially in the, in the in the restaurant culinary industry. There is there are tremendous artists, culinary artists and chefs, and lots of restaurants get great accolades and written up. Um, and sometimes it doesn't always translate to to profitability or, or, or business success. Mm -hmm. um, but the word mainstream kind of strikes me as kind of a balance between you know being an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur, and running a business, delivering to people what it is that they want, but then also not sacrificing, let's say, your cre your creative freedom, you know, and, and your creativity. Um, talk to me about about that decision. You know how you kind of make the menu and bring it to the mainstream, and, and where you guys are in that to, to get it to cross over because it has to be both to be successful. Absolutely. So for us, our menus is eighty twenty. You know, twenty percent of it is authentic South African cuisine because I don't want to be the PF chains of South African food. You know, Asian people don't eat at PF chains. Everyone knows that. And the last thing I'd want to do is create a South African concept for the mainstream that South Africans hate. I mean, that would be so embarrassing for me. So if you want, if you're a South African, one of my greatest joys is seeing a South African come to our restaurant for the first time and eat biltong. And biltong is a tender beef jerky. It's about four places in the U.S. that make it. Uh, and most South Africans have, have not had it since they were a child. So when you see a South African eat biltong, for the first time in a restaurant. It's, it's a cool thing to see. Um, so for us, we it, authenticity, you have to have. That's where the market is going. So no matter what concept you're doing, it has to be real because these days people are fearless. They're more educated. They're not afraid anymore because they're watching these shows, they're seeing things online, and they want to experience the real deal. They don't want a dumbed-down version or, you know, that's how it was maybe 15 years ago when you didn't have the internet as prevalent, you didn't have these shows, um, people were unfamiliar, right? I mean, people were driving to Chinatown now for different types of Chinese food, you know, so. Myself included. That's right. <laughs> that's the fun part now. So for us, the other 80% is where you have the fun. It's where you take South African food and you present it in a way that I think people will enjoy more. You know, some of the items like I'll take babuti for example. You know, the big difference between our babuti and traditional babuti is just one major change. And that is instead of a baked egg on top, we replaced it with a flaky pastry crust. So it resembles more of a pot pie or a shepherd's pie. Uh, well, visually it looks much more appealing. If you ever, you know, Google it, have you ever seen a, a traditional babuti? It, I mean, it doesn't look that good. And Paul hated it. 
Uh, and so he said, I'm not going to do it. And I think it would be better with this pastry crust. It would add a, you know, starch to it. It would add some component complexity to it. Um, and it worked. That's our most popular appetizer now. So, you know, it's taking things like the piri piri pepper. That's what we're named after. It's a South African spice founded by the Portuguese. And it's a hot pepper. Well, we tone that down quite a bit. And we make it more of a flavorful, uh, Cajun-like flavoring as opposed to just a hot pepper. You can do so many more things with that. And, you know, we incorporate things that are not South African. You know, sea bass. You know, we take fillets. But we flavor it differently in ways that people haven't had before. Um, so you have things when you go into the restaurant that are traditional and they're not so traditional. And then with Peli Peli Kitchen, our new concept, Fast Casual, I mean, we're having total fun with it now. We're adding Vietnamese food that South African inspired to it. I mean, we're just having fun because at this point, especially with the Fast Casual, I mean, who cares anymore? As long as it's food that people enjoy, I don't want to be put in a box. You know, for us, South African is, I don't want to just plant a flag in our restaurant and say, hey, we're South African, right? To me, South Africa is, is it's a melting pot. And it's the same reason why people like American food. It's, it's a hodgepodge of so many different cultures. That's what we're about. And so if I can incorporate things that are real to us, um, obviously having two owners that are Vietnamese, you know, it's, it's real to us to incorporate some Asian-inspired foods in our Peli Peli kitchen concept. Um, so for us, bottom line, like you said, when I, said, when I think mainstream, just cook food for people so they can enjoy it. You know, it's not about you. It's not about your skill set. It's what you can do to produce something that people will enjoy. That's the bottom line. That's why you do a restaurant. I mean, if you, if you just wanted to cook your own shit, I mean, you would just, just do a pop-up then, right? But don't do it. I mean, when, you get, when you're having so many families' lives reliant on you to produce a certain type of product, and your livelihoods are safe. I mean, my mind's 24-7 on Pelly. So if I'm, if I'm gonna do it and it's not a hobby, then make sure I do it to where it affects our community in a positive way and we do stuff that people will enjoy. So you mentioned fun, how much fun you're having with, with the menu and the new items and, and doing things that people, people enjoy. Um, what don't you enjoy, okay, about this? Because at the, again, it is, it's a business, you know, and from the outside looking in, um, you say, okay, here's a charismatic guy. He made a career shift. He's got a restaurant open. Now he has another restaurant. Now he has another one. He's talking about having fun. He's at this event. He's speaking over here, okay? When, when, what's, the, when's the other shoe drop, you know, on this? Because it's a real business, and what's, what's the not-so-fun, you know, part of, of your days or the parts you go, ah, oh, and I got to get through this to get to the other side, back to the fun stuff. But if I don't do this, you know, it's going to affect my it's going to affect my business. You know, uh, every restaurant goes through this. I think share the same things that give us headaches. I mean, for me, you know, it's a capital intensive business, and you know, when you don't have a business, they won't give you money. Meaning the banks. When you have a business, they still won't give you money because you have debt. It's an it, and it's a it's a different thing. I mean, in an ideal world, you know, I guess you could, you know, open up a restaurant, pay off your debt, you know, save up some money, and then open another restaurant. But I mean, at that pace, I mean, we won't have any growth, um, and that's the hard part. It's just a capital intensive business. You have to spend the resources to build the culture. You have to spend the resources to build the infrastructure for growth. You have to find the right people, and they cost money. And it, it's a fine line to walk. And every restaurant tour knows that, I mean, it, no matter how successful you are, 
nothing's guaranteed. You know, the market hits a downturn like it is right now. It affects your sales. I mean, everything is cash is is king, and and, and it's a, it's a daily concern. You know, uh, other things that give me headaches. You know, every once in a while we'll get a bad review, or we'll get an we'll get an experience from a customer that wasn't a Pelly experience, and. You know, the first thing I do every morning is I read the reviews on TripAdvisor and Yelp because it's some it's information that we have to relay to our managers, so they have it for their pre-ships at 10:30. So for me to to be able to have a good night's sleep and I wake up and and somebody's not happy because they weren't given this particular type of service, which we have to give. And when it's not given, you're frustrated because you're angry at the server, you're angry at yourself because you failed to train the server properly, and then you're angry that the person spent good money to have an experience at your restaurant and they didn't get it so it's a it's a bunch of failures all the way around and those are things that you know it it, it makes you upset and, and lots of times i mean you only have yourself to blame for it i mean obviously i didn't do enough with this particular service or i didn't create an environment to constantly remind them of what our standards are so it's um you know those are things that get me down you know and then also you know it's a daily grind to make sure that your staff gets what they need to operate and when you have a, you know, oh, we have three locations right now. We have over 250 employees, and everyone has different needs every day. Everyone has different moods. Or they have lives. They're going through different personal things. And so, sometimes it it's a, it's can be overwhelming because you're dealing with people at this point. Um, not only your customers, but your staff, your managers. You know, providing them emotional support to get through the day, providing them the training that they need to succeed. I mean, they're they're putting their career. Their career is in your hands and so I have to be able to provide for them and make sure that they're taken care of and then you know our customers too I mean in, in today's market uh, I mean there's over 10,000 restaurants in Houston and there's more every day and you know you have to take care of the customers that have been at your restaurants the customers that are eating at your restaurant and then the customers that have never eaten at your restaurant that you're trying to get there so it can be a bit overwhelming at times is that a concern of yours there are we've got 10,000 plus restaurants in Houston there are more opening every day there's a little talk of are we oversaturated um, and you guys are, are are obviously growing right in the midst of this um, and, and unfortunately some are, are, are not you know right now um, and it's a pretty precarious pre- precarious time uh, in, in the industry where do you think Houston is I mean I know you're in, in its place in the industry right now. Um, I know you're looking at expanding into Austin and obviously other markets. You're where where's the industry at? What do you what do you think? Where's Pelly Pelly in a couple of years? Um, with with what you see right now, Houston, uh, in my opinion, is in a really interesting spot right now. You know, for the first time, I think in the last year, a couple of years, are the chefs here, Chris Shepard. Hugo Ortega, a lot of these giants are finally getting the recognition that we deserve. Um, you know, you have up-and-coming chefs that are opening in, in Houston, and they're getting national recognition, and they should. And so as a Houstonian, uh, you know, I've, I've lived here all my life, and so to, to see that finally, you know, I hate it when I go on TV and all they talk about is, you know, Houston's good for barbecue or, you know, all these kind of stereotypes, right, which we are. Uh, but it's great that people recognize the diversity and progression that Houston's made as an industry. I'm very proud of that. You know, that being said, unfortunately, uh, oil and gas I think is catching up to us. The, the 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 market downturn, and I think at least you know we've experienced, and I know a lot of my colleagues have experienced a downturn in the market. Uh, a lot of businesses 
um, have not been able to do the volume that they've been doing the last couple of years. And, you know, we went during Houston Restaurant Week, we went from number five in the city to number two, even surpassing, you know, Del Frisco's and all these huge guys. And I don't think it's because we have better food or better service. I think it's because a lot of these uh, huge concepts have been impacted by oil and gas. Um, and, and some have been doing better than others in managing that. But uh, everyone, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, unless you're a Hop Dotties or a Shake Shack, um, everyone's feeling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're. You're spot on. I mean, if you have a concept that is heavily dependent on um, high wine prices, you know, or, or you know, just high item per item prices, and all of a sudden you, you know, the market isn't there for a two hundred dollar business lunch, <laughs> you know, or or three hundred dollar dinner, you know, if if you will, that faster casual or that kind of kind of hip place that's mid-priced that makes you feel good about still being able to go out but isn't going to cost you as much um you know those tend to do very you know very well you know in in those times um so it's you know we've, we've seen that in our in our practice here too um with some of those types of concepts that have been a little on the higher end getting a uh a little bit more severely impacted mm-hmm. you know by the downturn and then those that are in kind of the middle um, area be able to really kind of thrive um and provide a viable option for, for the masses uh, yep. while, while that's going on. Um, you, you also mentioned 24-7. You know, you think Pelly 20, 24-7. Okay. When and how do you turn it off? Because, I mean, you could be on your phone every two seconds. You could be checking mm-hmm. reviews. You could be checking social media. You could be calling a manager. You can't be at three locations at the same time. You've got a family. I mean, how do you balance it, you know? When do you turn it off? Can you turn it off? Uh, my wife, Christine, will tell you no. She hates me for it sometimes, and and, and, it, and it is my fault. I mean, it's hard. I'm so passionate about the business and what we do. I, I live and breathe it, and so I have to check myself sometimes, and a lot of it is with her support. I mean, you have to create or have things in your life that, that give you the same amount of passion, and fortunately for me, I have a beautiful wife, and I have a perfect pug, and I have the best friends I've known for the last 20 plus years and even my business partners I mean there are times Paul and Michael will just go have dinner and just relax or we just play golf yesterday or what I did wasn't really considered golf but we're on a golf course (laughs) Um, but you know you have to create opportunities for you to unwind a bit because if you don't you're not gonna be able to do your job well because you're gonna be so wound up you're gonna be so kind of stressed I mean in order to innovate and create you have to be in a relaxed state of mind that's why I do a lot of uh, running Running's been, uh, you know, I do Ironmans and, and triathlons and, you know, uh, I do different things to kind of get my mind off of the business. You know, when I run, I don't carry my phone. And so it's a nice way for me to just not answer phone calls, not, you know, check emails and just kind of zone out for a bit. And, you know, when your body works up a sweat too, it's, it's naturally kind of alleviate, alleviates that stress. So for me, you know, you have to, I have to be, remind myself to be as proactive uh, in engaging the other things that bring me passion, it's it's good to hear. Um, you know the other the other flip side to to this podcast in general is the fitness side. You know the food and fitness uh, podcast and fitness <coughs> is obviously an area that I'm super passionate about as well. Yeah, man, you're fit. I hope <laughs> I'm, to, yeah. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> uh, but and, and, and 
by virtue of that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to open up my own fitness studio as well with, with row studios and trying to, like you with Pelly, bring rowing to the to the mainstream. Mm. That was one of our goals there cool. was, okay, rowing has always been popular, if you will, in kind of the Ivy League set in, a, in the Olympics and with a certain kind of demographic, but much like spinning, could we crossed over, could we bring rowing to, to the mainstream? Um, and with fitness and rowing being a passion, unlike you, I can't run. Uh, so <laughs> the, the, that, that for my joints is not there, but rowing has kind of taken over. And, and we've had this studio now for a few years. Um, and I got into it thinking that would that be my stress reliever and I could have this oasis that mm. was uh, different from, from INS Group and my daily insurance and risk management practice and all the stresses of working uh, with, with clients and prospects and build this kind of fitness oasis you know, for, for myself. And I've also found out is it's a business. <laughs> working out in a gym is a lot different from owning and operating mm-hmm. a, a gym. And while you know, I love what we're doing there, love the team, um, I don't know, like you, can you separate yourself? I walk in to even take a class and as much fun as I have being there and exercising, I'll look at the air conditioning yeah, you're looking filters. Around, right? I'll look, is there a light bulb burnt <laughs> down? Did the front desk staff greet that client that they didn't know who came in right behind me, you know, in there? You know, what is the overall experience about? Because you can't detach yourself yeah. from something that you're so passionate about and, and, and a part of. If I want to really relax, happy hour or dinner, I don't eat at Pelly. And it's not because I, I don't like the food. I, I, I've eaten the food almost every day for the last seven years. Um, but just like you, it's, it's hard to, if I really want to relax, I can't be in my own business because you're always, you can't help but wander your eyes and, and wonder, you know, like you said, there's so many little things that you'll start noticing because it's your baby, right? Absolutely. And, and, and I made the mistake, I guess, of buying a house basically across the street <laughs> from row thinking. Man, you never get a break then. <laughs> and in that regard, it is. It's very tough. To, it's tough to get a break. But I do hear that. Um, I didn't totally understand that. Uh, at first, and now, now I do because I hear it now from from yourself. I've been feeling it myself for especially the last years. We try to push and grow and, and get beyond it. I've heard it from other guys in in your in your industry when we talk about where to go eat. And now I consciously turn around and say we're not going to your place. Yeah, because I I understand you've gotta you gotta get out from that in order to really be able to enjoy and relax yep. and not look at every other table and the number of covers that are coming through. <laughs> um, much like I'll sit down on, on, on another <coughs> row and if there's one of them empty next to me, that's the only thing I'm thinking about yep. for the next 50 minutes you know, of, of the class is how did we not fill that, that seat you know, also in there. Uh, but that's the fun stuff too. Yep. Maybe answering that question, okay, how come we didn't fill that seat? How are we gonna do something better? Mm-hmm. To, to fill that seat and get that person in here the, the next time. Um, do you have a daily routine? And I'm, I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> like a daily routine, and I'm reading Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans now, and I'm constantly looking at um, Manson's you know, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck was a great book I, ju- I just finished. Yeah, yeah. Fascinated my partner's it. in love with that book. Just finish mm-hmm. it. That's a great it's, book. It's terrific. Uh, and, and I'm fascinated with people's routines you know and again what do they do when they wake up do they meditate do they walk their dog do they write down their what they're grateful for every day and how do they again shut it down what's 
do you have a routine that you follow? You know, I have a routine, but it's probably not the answer that you want. It's, it's probably the most mundane answer, uninspiring answer ever. I mean, for me, it's a very... When I wake up, I mean, I'm starting to want to meditate now uh, with breathing techniques. Uh, but honestly, when I wake up, first thing I do is grab my phone because the light helps me wake up. And I, I run through our reviews and I do a scan of any press or media that has been attached to Peli Peli. What time do you wake up? Uh, usually I wake up at between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. But I'll lay there for a half hour at least. You know, going through Facebook, going through the internet, like searches for Peli, reviews. I'll, I'll be on TripAdvisor and Yelp to see if there's any emergency things. And it, and it helps me wake up. Um, I read a lot of content on the restaurant industry. Uh, it fascinates me. Uh, after that, when I wake up, my dog Tyson sleeps with me. So, you know, he'll be, he'll be, he has a routine too. So he'll want to get up and get fed. You know, we'll, I'll play with him for a little bit. You know, it helps me kind of wake up, get loose a little bit. Also allows me to spend some quality time with him. Um, I feed him. I get my double espresso in the morning. Get waking up. Recently, I've started drinking apple cider vinegar. A couple other things to take care of my body. Um, two or three days out of the week, uh, if I'm able to, uh, if I feel like it, I'll go run four or five miles. Get it going. You know, try to at least maintain some kind of either workout or run uh, four or five days a week. Either I try to do it when I wake up because if you know doing it after work is impossible uh, and then you know on the weekends I'll do the same thing but uh, it's you know I'll go in get ready uh, for work but I'm con I'm checking my email from the time that I wake up to the time I leave the house and I know it's not healthy but uh, that's that's essentially my daily routine you've also started to write yes and I think that one of the Initial ways I even came came across you was seeing you on on the cover of the Houston Press, uh, <laughs> and have and you've launched yourself. Or maybe you have a writing background, and you'll and, and you'll tell me. But you launched yourself as as a writer, um, and and writing about the industry uh, and the trials and tribulations that you're in. And, and I thought it was a great piece. And you had spoken to a couple of clients of mine, which I thought were were great, and they were can everybody was candid. They were great. How how did you decide to to get into writing and say, look, I'm going to take this on also while I'm in the process of, of building this business, this restaurant business, I'm going to go tackle being a contributing writer at, at a large publication in Houston also. <laughs> um, you know, it just comes down to what you enjoy. I mean, I really, I really, really enjoy food. Um, I hate, you know, every, everyone's a foodie nowadays, but I really do enjoy food. I, there's nothing that I won't try at least once. I love watching cooking shows. I love watching the bizarre foods. That's my dream show. I love all that, and I've always respected what food writers have to do in terms of painting a picture of what that experience is going to be, whether it's good or bad. And you know, I met Phaedra Cook a uh, long time ago, and she was never that crazy about Peli Peli, uh, but she was a, a writer for the press at the time, and. I think she or the Houston Press had posted something online about looking for freelance writers. And so I emailed her and I said, you know, I would love to do this, but geez, I mean, am I even qualified? I don't have anything published. And she said, you know, I don't see why not. And uh, I submitted a thing to uh, her and Margaret and they enjoyed what I created and gave me a chance. And she ended up being a, a mentor in my writing early on and, and Margaret is now, but you know, it's, I never, I had a journalism degree in, at UT, I was my uh, major, 
I've always enjoyed writing. And now I get to write about food. Uh, I get to share more of our experiences. And I think, I hope that I'm able to provide a pers- uh, perspective that, you know, from, because I own a restaurant, I also enjoy food. So I hope that in my writings, I'm able to give people different perspectives from an owner's point of view. I hope that I can do articles that represent the restaurant industry well and maybe provide a voice for restaurateurs, um, maybe shedding some light on what we go through, some of the trials, tribulations of the industry. And uh, that's, what I, that's what I'd like to focus more on. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I, mean, I think there, there's a lot that is being published right now and put out there, obviously on the front of the experience, the mm-hmm. food that comes out of the kitchen, the chef as a celebrity, the decor. I mean, everything's become kind of front and center and, and over the top. What doesn't a lot of the time is what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the business of restaurants as you talk about it. Now we are talking about inventory management, okay? Um, is something, again, an award-winning dish that maybe we sell two or three of a night, but if we, we need to have staples on our menu or certain other things so that we can sell 500 of them a night in order to be able to, to do both. How do we manage our staff? How do we manage the, the P&L, you know, if you will? Do we have so many employees now that we have to offer benefits you know, to them? Um, what's in our lease? But the, and the things that, that I deal with on a regular basis with, with clients and individuals in your industry is for better or worse, the, the unsexy stuff, mm-hmm. if you will. But when you're working with entrepreneurs and, and who are employing hundreds of people in some cases, whether it's one person or, or 500 people, you're responsible for people's livelihood as well as your own. You took the leap to start a business. And mm-hmm. we talk about how how do you protect it, you know, and what keeps people up at, up at night. Um, what what does, you know, what does keep you up at, up at night? Uh, in, in that regard also? Uh, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I'm obviously terrified of our growth. You know, as much as I'm excited about our, our next few locations, you know, we're going to, we're going to be in the downtown tunnel system soon. We're going to do a Katy location. Uh, we're going to Austin. Um, and we potentially have a couple other locations online after that. So we have a huge year. This is a make or break a year for us. This is what I've been working for towards since 2009, uh, I have an opportunity to really uh, create something special with my partners, introduce our concept to a lot of people, and really create a lot of happiness. You know, we're, we're everywhere we go, we want to create happiness in ways that involve more than just food and service. You know, we're doing that special needs prom in Austin with the Lions Club UT Junior Pals. We're doing prom again for MB Anderson uh, this uh, April, May. Uh, and who knows? I mean, I'm excited about what else we can do for the community. I'm just having fun. So, you know, it's been great. How do you limit yourself a little bit and say, okay, there's all these things that I want to do, okay? I want to be involved with this organization. I want to get another look. What's your filter, you know, or, or, right. and, or your, your barometer and, and maybe the dynamic with your partners to decide, okay, how much can we, can we take on? You know, I can't be in Houston and Austin at the same time. Mm-hmm. I can't do this charitable endeavor, meet this writing deadline. How do you... How do you filter? How do you, how do you delegate? How, how do you how do you balance again? You balance it all. So for me, I, you know, again, I'm lucky to have two awesome partners, and, and you know, so when it comes to food, I don't really have to have much thought in it, other than taste it every once in a while. I mean, Paul has a lock on the food that comes out, the menu creation. You know, Michael has been awesome at 
driving the business, the operations, all the ugly side of the restaurant business so that I can focus on marketing and branding. But uh, to filter out a lot of things, it really just comes down to what do I enjoy doing and do I have a passion for it? You know, if I'm going to write something, do I really care about what I'm writing? Um, and Margaret and the Houston Press have given me um, flexibility and to be able to write about what I like. Uh, and they haven't been on me as, as much just to push out content. Um, and for charity work and the projects that we do, I mean, there's something about prom that speaks to me. It's, it's, it's an opportunity to create an environment of happiness for these kids that really deserve it. I mean, first, it was the kids that had... Uh, have cancer at MD Anderson Cancer Center and they're not able to go to their their normal their school's prompts and so I was able to do something fun for them but special needs kids have always had an impact on me just because yeah, I felt like man these kids got short end of the stick you know and it's you know not to take anything away from other people that have gone through things or suffered things but special needs kids for me deserve the world and I need to do more to create more happiness for them and I've always wanted and, and just this, this group heard about what we did for the teens at MD Anderson last this past year and they wanted to do something for the special needs kids the Austin Independent School District and they contacted me and I, I think it was just godsend because I was like man that, that's exactly what I want to do so we're a little bit busy right now we got a lot going on but I said yeah screw it let's do it you know because it needs to be done and it's something that I, like, I immensely enjoy doing. You know, um, we've done golf tournaments before. I won't do them again. I don't care about them. I mean, it doesn't do anything for me. So I'm not going to do it. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that answers your question. But for me, I mean, that's kind of my filter. If I'm, if I'm going to do an event, it takes time. And if I'm going to do it, I want to have fun doing it. So I'm not going to do it unless I think it should be done. And I think prom at MD Anderson should be done. I think prom for special needs kids... Uh, in Austin should be done and anywhere we go if we can do something that's meaningful that can involve our staff and our customers and really you know I can like look at it and smile even if I'm working 14 hour days I can look at it and say screw it fuck Thomas just do it because it needs to be done right that's what moves me and that's what keeps me going if, if they didn't have that impact on me I'm not going to do it and my partner is my wife knows I mean I, if I don't want to do it I'm not going to do it so there's not there's there's no problem you don't have a problem saying no. Uh, I don't have a problem saying no because I'll say no for a good reason you know just because there's either something that needs my attention more, or it's just something that doesn't move me, you know. But it, it's a good skill to have. I mean, one of the one of the hardest things is being confident and secure enough to be able to say no. You can't <laughs> you can't do everything. That's uh, right. In in there too, um, you know, and I'm trying to trying to learn that also. You know, there are again. There are things that I just I shouldn't say yes to, yeah. <laughs> and I'm guilty of saying yes to them over and over again, and, and trying to get better at finally saying, okay, you know, you can't you can't do all of that. Um, you know, there's good business, there's not such good business, mm. um, and you got to be cognizant of that too, because um, again, you want to be passionate about those you represent, those you're going to allocate your time in, in, to, and, and who you're going to spend spend your time with. Um, You've done some some interesting, awesome fundraising or, or ways to even raise capital for your businesses. Mm -hmm. For your business, talk to me a, a little bit about that. I mean, we're we're in a again in a new world about how people raise capital for for businesses. How do they expand? Where does, <coughs> where does it come from? Um, and how it can be tied into marketing in the community mm -hmm. as well. 
Um, if you if you would talk to me a little bit about how you guys have done it at at, at Pelly. I mean, for us, you know, banks is, banks are very tough. Uh, you know, we're working on a new banking relationship right now. Um, and, but one of the things we're always looking for cash. You're always when you're trying to grow, making sure that you have enough cash to sustain your growth. One of the things that came online uh, this past year was a really awesome duo of guys, uh, Young Grow and uh, A. Chu, and uh, they own, they co-founded Nexseed, and Nexseed I think is the first uh, debt crowdfunding platform approved by the SEC to operate in Texas, and they've been approved to operate nationally uh, too. And uh, the cool thing about them is the crowdfunding allows you to raise debt from as little as $100 all the way up to, I think, $50,000. And so for as little as $100, someone can you know, make a, a decent amount of interest and also get involved in a concept that they dine at and they believe in. Uh, it's never existed before until this year, and we're fortunate to be a part of it. We're one. I think we have the second largest crowdfund on Nexseed, second to uh, my boy Ben Tran with Chapman and Kirby, and uh, you know we raised three hundred fifty-eight thousand dollars, and we have one hundred twenty-eight individual investors, and they've been phenomenal. I mean, they email me all the time when they come into the city. They uh, I've met uh, a bunch of them at soft opening events, and, and I mean every week I'll meet one or two different events and. It's cool because they, uh, you know, for me, I'm like, even if it's $100, thank you for investing the $100 and believing in me. Because you could lose it, right? Um, but they they love the concept and they just want to be part of the process. And that's what that's what we did it for. You know, we wanted to create a network. We're always looking to grow our network, right? So we, we I think we have the best fans in Houston uh, because we've been transparent with our growth. And they know the three of us and our the good and the bad and the ugly. And they've accepted us, and they they allowed us to grow. Um, and so Nexi is just another platform for us to reach out to other people that want to learn about the business, that that share in our growth, that believe in us. And these days, man, it just having people believe in you is it's worth its weight in gold. I mean, it, it, as a restaurant tourist or an entrepreneur, I mean, one thing that you'll hear a lot of is no, or you're stupid, or you're crazy. Um, probably heard my fair share. In my lifetime, especially when I started Peli Peli uh, with with Paul and Michael, but you know, having people believe in you is is I need it. It's helpful in our growth, and so it's been great. Um, I appreciate what Nexseed has done, and I, I think they're going to be huge in a couple of years. I mean, because now it's like people can invest in things that they believe in and other businesses, uh, clubs, restaurants, small business. I think it's a great way for people to. It's another way to make money but also contribute to someone's livelihood help them achieve their dreams that's a cool thing yeah i think it's i think it's awesome uh in, in my experience with them with them so far um you know i think their concept is is terrific i think it's great for the communities that they're involved in i think they're going to continue to get into different markets mm -hmm. and see it um and i think it's a great way as you said for people to be involved in community businesses you know local businesses mm -hmm. entrepreneurs concepts that they support um, without taking a lot of risk but feeling like they're a part of something you know, yep. as well and seeing seeing it through um, you know, and, and for the businesses it seems like there's a, a unique almost built-in army of, of marketers you know, right. that are out there 
you know, on your behalf, rooting for you to succeed, which we all know right now it is invaluable because it's so easy for anybody to to just open up their phone the second they walk out the door after having maybe not the greatest, you know, of experience mm-hmm. um, or perceiving that they didn't have the greatest experience because I don't think they're always right <laughs> Yeah, uh, in, in that and, and firing something off that, you know, hits, hits home, you mm-hmm. know, when you open up your email in the morning and check these check these things so having an army of supporters out there um, throughout the community through something like this I think is a, is a really really cool thing going in you know uh, to to a business outside of that 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 army that you've got in, in, in there and those people that are that are working with you um, you know you mentioned your two partners uh, having partners is is always uh, an interesting dynamic oh man you know, it's and crazy how you interact with partners um, and delegate responsibilities and not step on each other's toes um, I know that's something I wrestle with personally all of, all of the time and when we have nine shareholders at, the, at this firm um, some more different than others you know in there I have partners at, at Rome you know as well um, I'm guilty of coming in sometimes I'm told and saying you need to do this 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 this, this and turn around <laughs> and walk right out the door and I say, wait a minute you know yeah did, let me do my thing. Didn't we decide on something completely different <laughs> last last week? So how do you how do you do it with your partners? Um, you mentioned going out to dinner with them, and you mentioned going to golf going to golf with them. Uh, how do you keep that going? How much time you spend with them? How much time you say, "Listen, I do not want to see you," you know, right now. I'll tell you what. If there's one thing I got to tell any entrepreneur out there that has partners, if you're thinking about opening your own business or you're going to have partners. A business partnership is identical to a marriage. Identical. I mean, every day I, I, that's, that, that fact is reinforced in my mind. You know, Paul, Michael, and I, we're, we're essentially three alpha males. We're very passionate about what we believe in. When we first started, it was a disaster. Even with Michael and I. You know, it's, it, people don't understand. When you, there's a huge difference between being best friends with someone and being a business partner. You know, when money's involved and duties are involved and obligations and work, it can screw up a lot of friendships. And Michael and I had tension for a long time. Paul and I uh, had a lot of tension working together. And, and the reason was, just like any marriage, it took us a long time. Many, it took us many years to finally appreciate what we each brought to the table. And to also, almost in a way, quit changing each other. You know, I think for the first few years, there's two things that are going against us. One, we didn't fully trust the other person to do what they said that they could do. And so we're always, always second-guessing. We're always, like, not providing that support, um, not allowing them to shine because we didn't trust them, right? Um, the other thing, too, is we were always focused on what they need to change. And so you got three people trying to change everyone, the other two guys. It was... It was a mess, and we went through everything that a typical marriage went through. I mean, we've gone to tr- essentially therapy. Um, we we almost walked away from each other. I can at least remember two or three different times because we had enough. And ultimately, what kept us together is we believed in the concept. We believed that there could be something magical if we would just shut the hell up, get out of the, our own way and allow each person to do what they need to do. And it took us, I mean, a good four or five years to get to that point. 
a lot of people don't realize that um, because we have a different kind of public face and behind the scenes. But anyone that's worked with us, our employees, they've seen us through our growth. And it's taken a long time. But, man, where we're at the last couple of years has been, a, has been a, nothing short of magical. I mean, I finally appreciate Paul for who he is, what he brings to the table. I'm, ta- I'm not trying to change him. I understand that's how he is. And I have to cater to his strengths and his weaknesses. And he's allowed me to, to flourish and do what I do in marketing and branding. And we, and we both allowed Michael to run the business. And finally, when we kind of got out of each other's way, uh, we're, we've actually done so much better because now I don't have to worry about Paul watching over my shoulder. You know, he trusts me completely. I do the same with him on the food. We do the same with Michael. And so, you know, and then in it, with any other marriage, if you don't spend time together, uh, that relationship will deteriorate. And so we, you know, we like to go play golf. We kind of make ourselves have dinner every once in a while, not talk business. We like to take trips and do things with our team. Uh, you know, if you don't take time to build and continue to build that relationship, it, it will go south. You know, if, if I don't see Michael and Paul for several weeks for some reason, or I don't talk to them, or all we talk about is work, the relationship will deteriorate. And you'll start noticing, you'll start seeing that creep out and, and it will manifest in ugly ways. And, and we're getting good at recognizing that now. And so we, we, we prevent it. And, it's been pretty harmonious. I mean, I'm not saying we don't have our days like any marriage, but man, our our relationship now I think has, has never been stronger. But it's taken a long time. How many people are you up to with the company overall? I don't know the exact number, but it's got to be over 250. Because you talk about the relationship and nurturing the relationship with your partners and those are the two the two founders and you got into this with and, and, and that's one relationship to stay on top of. But now you've got 250 mm-hmm. in, in a company. Um, how, do you, how do you manage those relationships or oversee morale and, and community and unity and teamwork and all of the things that you know, it takes to have a successful growing organization? Because at a certain point, not everybody can really just walk right into your office or, or mm-hmm. walk right up to you. There's just too many. I mean, our secret sauce, and we, we always tell people this, I mean, it's not our food, it's not our service, it's, it's our company culture. Uh, if you don't have that, I mean, if you're in the restaurant industry and you think all you need is good food and good service, I, honestly, I don't think you're going to make it. Because there's a hundred other restaurants out there that cook better food than Pelly. I shouldn't say that, but it's true. You know, and there's probably more that have better service than us. It's a fact. Um, you know, people don't come to Pelly Pelly just for that. I think they come because we make them feel a certain way. And in order to create that spirit, it, it starts with creating an ecosystem of company culture. And that's where a lot of people, they say, oh yeah, I believe in company culture. You know, I hang out with them and I pat them on the back every once in a while. But that's not, that's just scratching the surface. You know, you have, it takes resources and your own time. I mean, we spend a lot of time with our upper management and it trickles down. Um, for us, they have to believe in the culture and they have to reach out and, and do the do everything as well. It can't just be the three of us. You, know, you have to create an environment where your assistant manager is worried about the employees so they'll go out and buy donuts and cookies for them, which happened the other day. You know, how do you, if I make him do that, it's not real, right? I have to have taken care of him so well and created an environment where he feels like that should be done. If I see my employees not smiling or something's wrong, I need to ask, I think it, Thomas made me feel okay to ask them what's wrong and take care of them. Or you know, go out to lunch with them, 
go out to dinner with them. Just do those things. You have to create that environment. We have a core team at the office that we're, I mean, it's a daily thing in, in terms of creating that environment. And, and these kids have the biggest hearts. I mean, I don't think we've had as good of a team as we have right now. And they have shared their lives with me. They're, they shared their secrets that they haven't told other people. I mean, they've allowed me into their lives and I've done the same. And it's because of them that, we're, I, that I feel confident that we can grow. If it was just me, Paul, and Michael, we might as well just shut it down. Because, I mean, it, the three of us can't handle growing hundreds of people's, you know, their livelihood, right? You can only do that if you have a, a, a team and an ecosystem that fosters that positive, that love and that devotion to your staff and your employees. I mean, without that, uh, you, I mean, you're not going to be able to grow. You know, you're just going to pop up another restaurant, I'll, I'll cook some food, some service, but the kids are going to be pricks and they're not, you know what I mean? There's not, if you don't have that heart behind it, I mean, you're not going to make people feel like there's someone when they come into your restaurant, you know? The, the server's not going to go that extra mile. I mean, if you think about it, it's food. I mean, you walk in, you get food, the waiter gets you something to drink, you eat, pays the bill. Who can't? A monkey can do that, right? That's not what people go out to eat for. They go out to eat because they want to be treated a certain way. They want to be recognized. They want to feel valued. They want to, <coughs> they want to have friends. They want to be encouraged by the sight of your name, eating your food you know we look at ourselves like the fashion industry it's not about the clothes in and of themselves it's about how the clothes make you feel as a person and so for us it's about the ambiance the, the, the aspect of sitting down in a restaurant or eating our food how does it make you feel that's the deal and I think it's uh, I, I think it's it's incredibly poignant because it's true. You think about I mean, people remember how you make them feel. Um, I don't again think it's exclusive to to the hospitality industry. Um, I think we certainly are seeing it in fitness. Um, the reason that these boutique fitness studios are popping up and people are flocking to them uh, is because of the way they make you feel. Um, Soul Cycle's done a fantastic job mm. of, of 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 that. Um, Orange Theory has done a fantastic job. CrossFit has done a great job of making people feel a certain way. Yep. Um, they want to make them feel beat up, you know, exhausted, lying on the ground. But people do. They look for a feeling. Um, yep. We certainly want, you know, we want them to feel a certain way about row. You have a choice of where you're going to go. You're going to go to a place that makes you feel feel good. And um, look, I say that to my team, even even here at, at Inns Group, all the time. Everybody has to have what we sell. It's just a question of who they're going to get it from. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna get it from the individuals that make them feel confident, secure, trusted, capable, you know, warm and fuzzy, you know, that hey, this guy's got my back, you know, he's vested in my business as well, rather than transactional, mm -hmm. or it, it's paper uh, in, in there too. And I think, that is the, I, I agree with you, I think that is the secret sauce, you know, if you will. Uh, you think you hear a name, you hear a brand, and you immediately associate that with a, with a feeling, you know, yeah. an emotion. Not necessarily a flavor or a taste, but a feeling. You know, does something pull me, pull me back there? Because it's so quick, you've probably experienced this too, to go into any restaurant, um, and once the experience starts off poorly, you know, or yeah. you're not getting good service, you're not getting a good feeling, or whatever it may be, no matter how great 
that plate is that sits down at the end that they put down in front of you, the taste is automatically different because your perception is already in a different is in a different spot. That's, that's, right. that's tough to recover from uh, in there. So where kind okay, of where where do you go again from here? What what are the 2017 goals and, and beyond? Um, how do you keep moving this this ball forward, which is like you know pushing a boulder uphill you know, <laughs> all day, every day. Um, what's the next year and, and, and future bring for, for you and your partners in Pelly? I think, um, I mean, 2017, we're going to have a location at the Esperson building. Uh, we're taking over the Murphy's Deli. It's going to be called Pelly Deli. Uh, I think downtown needs something different. I'm hoping that we're able to provide that. Uh, Katie, I, I, my family's lived in Katie since 1979. That's going to be our next flagship location, and I couldn't be happier. I mean, I grew up in the Katie School District system, uh, graduate May Creek High School, so and I live down the street. I live two miles away right now. So, for me, um, opening Katie will be a huge kind of personal accomplishment. Um, after that, we go to Austin, you know, where I went to my uh, where I went to school. And um, I hope we can fit in there. I hope we're able to provide something unique uh, in Austin. Um, after that, uh, there's potential for Woodlands, maybe Dallas. But we're trying to just grow the concept. We're trying to be the, the, the concept that defines South African as a viable food category, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, and, uh, you know, personal goals. Uh, my partner and I, Michael, we're going to do try to accomplish Alaska Man. Uh, most extreme Ironman in North America in July. Um, we uh, hopefully will have an, well, we will have another prom with MD Anderson. Uh, we're going to have that prom for special needs kids in uh, Austin, April seventh. Hoping to partner with a bunch of different Austin uh, groups and restaurants. Uh, man, and just have a lot of fun. I mean, 2017 is a, a huge year for us. A lot of people, some people are expecting us to fail. Uh, we may have bit off more than we could chew, uh, but you know. At the same time, I think if we can accomplish this, we'll be able to do something really special, something that we can be proud of, um, and hopefully uh, have a have a ton of really cool experiences along the way, create a lot of happiness. So, that, that's awesome, and, and I'm sure you guys will. Uh, I know I wanted to reach out and sit down and talk to you uh, and hear your story and, and learn uh, from you and about your journey and where where you are and, and where you guys are going. Uh, and I'm glad we had the opportunity to. To do this, um, who would you want to talk to? I mean, who in the community, or who in the business, or anything? And who would you want to sit down and talk to? You know, I'm a. I mean, I'm gonna call. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Houston, you know, honestly, for me, uh, I always wanted to have a glass of wine with Allison Cook. You know, she's a, a giant in our profession. She's at the top of the food chain in terms of food critic um, and you know, I know she's not hugely crazy about our concept uh, she did a review on us when we first opened in 2009 we've never been in our top 100 kind of got to know over that but I have a big respect for her and what she's been able to accomplish especially as a writer as well and so I would love to just you know hang out with her for a bit you know the other person I've always wanted to meet is uh, Tillman Fertitta you know I mean I, I drive by that Landry's on I-10 all the time because I live out there and you know, I've heard stories about him. I know he's I know he's eaten at Peli Peli Galleria before, um, but you know, geez, 
I just have a huge respect for what he's been able to accomplish. I mean, that's every restaurateur's dream to do what he's been able to do. And it looks like he's having fun. He's on TV now with Billion Dollar Buyer. And he has a ton of different concepts. Um, I know he's involved with U of H. I mean, he's doing what he wants to do. He's And he's a visionary. <coughs> you're creating Pleasure Pier. I mean, you're essentially creating Galveston, that city, and, and what it's doing. He's been able to do a lot of cool things. And so those two people off the top of my head, I would definitely like to grab dinner or a drink with them for sure. They seem like really fascinating people. Fantastic. Well, listen, Thomas, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the opportunity to sit down and hear your story and learn everything about you and Pelly Pelly. Uh, and look forward to, to watching and being, uh, being a part of your success, both as a, as a, as a customer um, and, 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 and friend. And good luck to, to everything that you have, uh, have in store. I appreciate it. We'll need it. Thank you. The Greg Scheinman Podcast was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.